What's up, A-Self? How you guys doing tonight? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. I just want to say thank you for your support earlier in the lip sync battle. It means a lot. I just want to dedicate my performance to John Martin, who's taken off for Idaho. Uh, uh, and so this will be his last week. I'll give it up for him. I dedicate my performance to you, bro. And uh, man, I'm so, uh, so grateful that you guys are here tonight. And we jump in this week to week two of Once Upon a Time. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys know somebody who is argumentative? Like, they just argue about everything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Who is that person? Right? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, honest, all right? Yeah, like, like uh, I'm talking about the argumentative people. You know, they argue about everything, even if they know that they're wrong. Like, they're going to argue the other side, even if they know they're wrong, right? You know anybody like that? I have, I have some friends like that. In fact, I had this friend in college. His name's Ryan. He was actually my roommate going in my freshman year. And when I went in as a freshman at Liberty University, I had two roommates. And Ryan and my other roommate and I, we had been, uh, you know, at college not very long. And, and we're headed to go get something to eat. And Ryan says, man, I want to go, like, I want to get, like, a sandwich or something. And, and, and my other roommate said, well, bro, like, Subway's right up here. Let's just pull in the Subway. And Ryan's like, man, that's gross, dude. Subway is nasty. And my other roommate's like, bro, what are you talking about, man? Like, it's a sandwich. It's meat, bread, cheese, mayo, lettuce, tomato. Like, it doesn't matter where you go. It's all the same. And Ryan starts having this argument. I thought my other roommate was going to strangle the dude right there, like, just kill him. Like, he was dead. And Ryan was like this all the time. Like, it didn't matter what we were doing. Ryan was trying to argue something. Even if he believed that what he was saying wasn't true, he still argued it just to argue it. He was just that guy. So we're hanging out in the dorm room one night having a good time, all of us buddies, and uh, talking and goofing off. And um, Ryan was in one of those Ryan moods. And he's arguing about everything and throwing in his two cents on everything. And Ryan was one of those guys who's like, you know, he just kind of had that attitude like, man, I just like to play the devil's advocate, right, as his excuse for the way that he would kind of act. And, and so Ryan got one of his moods, he was doing it. And one of my friends, Dez, was fed up with it. And so Dez started, decided that he was going to provoke Ryan. And so Dez says to Ryan, Ryan, I think the reason that you argue about everything is because you're the weakest person in the room. Smoke. I'm like, get the popcorn. Here we go. <laughs> and, uh, and, Ryan, and Ryan goes, Ryan goes, bro, I'm the strongest person in the room. And Dez goes, bro, I'm not the strongest person in the room, and I'm tougher than you are. And Ryan goes, I will crush you, dude. What are you talking about? And Dez says, okay, well, if you think you'll crush me, how about we just go lick for lick and see who gives up first? Yeah, let's do that. And, uh, and, 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 and so Ryan goes, all right, that's a deal. And then Dez ups the ante. And Dez says, how about this? How about we go lick for lick on each other's bare back with a belt? Yes, let's do that. <laughs> and, uh, and Ryan then starts to back down. And Ryan says, nah, bro, I don't think I can do that. And then Dez says this. All right, how about this? How about we go lick for lick on each other's back until somebody gives up with a belt, but we do it left-handed? And Ryan says, that's the deal. So I'm like, dude, this is going to be awesome. And there's like 10 of us guys in this room. So we walk out in the hallway. They take their shirts off, and Dez says, you can hit me first. And so Dez gets up there, and he puts his hands on the wall like this right here, and he's got his bare back. 
And Ryan gets up with his left hand, and, and, and Ryan goes, like, limp-wristed because he's not left-handed. And he goes, Ugh. just like that across Dez's back. And Dez is like this. Dez goes, Dez goes, oh, all right, all right, man, all right, whew, all right, all right, all right, my turn. And so Dez takes the belt. Ryan gets up there. Now, what Dez didn't tell Ryan is that Dez is left-handed. And Dez takes that belt, and he backs up, and he crow hops. And with everything he has, he just goes, spop, and he slams that belt into Ryan's back. And Ryan does this number right here. He goes, all the way down to the ground. And we're all like, what just happened? Like, I mean, I've never seen somebody get hit that hard in my entire life. And he had like this, this like belt, blood welt. Because it wrapped around from here all the way around. Dude, listen, the dude is 35 years old, and he still has a scar all the way around his body from where Dez hit him with that belt. I mean, it was a serious smackdown. I would say Dez won that one. What'd you say? Why are boys stupid? That's a great question. But boys have more fun. Isn't that right, guys? Yeah, that's right. We might be stupid, but we have fun. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and so, so listen, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down as kind of the bottom line for the message tonight because I think that's a perfect illustration of this. And here it is. Humble yourself, be humble, or you will be humbled. <clears throat> be humble or you will be humbled. That's, that's what happened in this situation. Ryan was all prideful and, and Dez had to humble him. Now, when we talk about being argumentative, here's the truth. Most of us in this room are not like Ryan. Maybe some of us are, but we don't have to argue everything. But here's the truth. It doesn't matter how kind you are. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how cool you are. Every single one of us in this room has things that we care about deeply and will argue about. Everybody argues. In fact, there's a cute little video online uh maybe you've seen it but it's of a couple kids arguing over whether it's sprinkling outside or whether it's raining outside now now what i love about this video is this there's two lines in this video the boy says i'm real and you're not that's one of his lines i'm like dude that's a smack i'm using that one and the other one is he says you poke me in the heart my favorite moments of the video check it out it's funny now my mom told me it's wriggling because my mom can say raining. No, my mom says it's raining. My mom said it's raining. Because it's raining. My mom. You poke my mom said it's Say sorry to me for wiggling. My mom told me it's wiggling. My mom is not. My mom is wiggling outside, maybe. It's raining. It's raining. It's raining. You 
broke my heart. It's okay. You broke my heart. Turn around and then I go and I go and get honey. Is that not awesome? <laughs> That's so good. You poked my heart. You poked my heart. And I love that. And I love that because that's a beautiful picture, a perfect picture of the fact that, man, every single one of us can argue and argue about petty stuff sometimes. And, again, some of us might not think it's as, as, as extreme as Ryan, but, but for some of us, it's, it's just little things here and there that we argue about. And here's the truth. The truth is, is that at the core of every argument is pride. Because in, in an argument and in these confrontations that we deal with uh, here on earth in conflict, when we deal with conflict, the, the heart of it is pride because there's a little piece of us that is saying that I am right and you are wrong. That I disagree with something that you are in agreement with and that leads to that conflict that's there in that relationship. And the truth is, pride is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. In fact, God says, or the Bible says this in James. James says it this way. He says that God opposes the proud. And gives grace to the humble. That literally, in our pride, God is in opposition to us. Now that's some pretty aggressive language. So let's talk about that. Why would God be in opposition to us because of our pride? The reason is because at the core and root of every sin is pride. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, at the original sin where Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the core root of that sin is pride. People say, well, I thought it was disobedience. See, they disobeyed God and they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from. Yeah, but notice how Satan tempts them. Satan tells them, listen, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is because he knows that if you eat from this tree, you are going to be like him. And so then they begin to think, well, God's holding out on me. You mean I could be like God? I can be like the creator. I'm the created, but I can be like the creator. And, and, and so, so, you know, I'm going to eat from this fruit so I can be like God. This, this pride began to well up in them, and this pride was the core of the first sin. What we also know is that pride is at the core of Satan's sin, the reason Satan was cast out of heaven. We know that Ezekiel tells us that he was created as the most beautiful of all the angels. He held a high position in the kingdom of heaven. And what we know is that Isaiah tells us that in his pride, he saw the worship of God and he wanted to be like the most high God. He wanted to raise up. He, he wanted others to worship him the way that God was being worshipped. And in his pride, he was cast out of heaven. And I'll tell you also that I think that at the root of every sin is pride. It's us saying, hey God, listen, I know what you say in your word. And I know that I should obey that. But God, listen, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because I'm the God of my life. Every sin falls under that category. And listen, God, I know what you say about this relationship that I'm in with my girlfriend. And I know what you say about keeping that relationship pure. But God, I know better than you know, so I'm going to do what I want to do. It's pride. And God opposes the proud. God is in opposition to that thinking. Pride is a serious thing. And, and when we have this conversation, what you need to realize is that pride doesn't just hurt and hinder our relationship with God, but pride also hurts our relationship with each other. In fact, how many of you, and I want you to feel the tension, how many of you guys would, uh, would, would say this? You would say, or think at times, I'm smarter than you, or I'm better than you. 
or I'm right and you're obviously wrong. Now, here's the deal. This is what I know. Most of you are like, well, like I wouldn't say that. Like that's pretty aggressive being like, I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I'm right and you're obviously wrong. But let me, let me craft a question a little bit different. What if I said it to you like this? How many of you would say that you're smarter than people that you go to school with? How many of you would say, how many of you would say, honestly, some of the people I go to school with are just plain idiots? <laughs> right? <laughs> She's laughing. She's like, oh, yeah. Now let me raise two hands for that one. How many of you would say this? How many of you would say this? Man, my parents are so dumb. They just don't understand. <laughs> She's like, I'll raise my hand, but I don't want my dad to find out. <laughs> I don't want nobody to tell on me. You don't raise your hand, but we think it. Unless I'm just odd and weird because I thought about my parents all the time. How about this? That ref made a bad call, and if I was the ref, I would have made a better call. <laughs> oh, them refs! <laughs> yeah. Right? See, see, here's the point. Here's the point. It's in us all. We may not say it and present it in this blatant way, but we package it in such... That was good. We package it in such a way that makes it soften the blow from the way that we actually feel and who we actually are at the core. That, that this, is, this is in us. And when we feel this way, when we think this way, the truth is it says more about us than it says about that person. Now, I want to do a little bit of experiment with you guys. And here's the experiment. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about your character and who you are as a person. This is a personal thing. I want you to think about your character and who you are as a person. I want you to think about your intelligence. I want you to think about your appearance. I want you to think about your kindness. I want you to think about your personality and your relatability. I want you to think about all the areas that make up who you are as a person. And then, just personally, among yourself right now, I want you to think about this. I want you to now compare yourself to most of the people around you. And I'm not talking about in this room, but most of the people around you in life and school and all this kind of stuff. And I want you to think about this. I want you to answer this question in your head right now. Would you say that if I added all those things together and I divided it by whatever, that I would be, when I look at the landscape of the people around me, I would be above average, I would be average, or I would be below average? When I think of myself as a leader, when I think of my character, when I think of uh, my intelligence, when I think about all these things, and I was to add that all up, and I was to kind of look at the whole of who I am, and I was to place that against my classmates, my peers, the people that I know around me, that I would say that I am, I am above average. There's, there's above average, or I am average, or I am below average. All right, here's my question. How many of you guys would say, man, I'm at least slightly above average? Raise your hand. Wow, higher. <laughs> Y'all like this. You know, there's research that's been done on this. And the research that's been done on this is that what they found is that almost every person puts themselves in the category of above average. Almost every person. In fact, when I think about that question, I would put myself in that category. In other words, as your pastor, I am not immune to this. And there's actually, in psychology, something that they call, uh, that they actually uh, have, have a term for this. It's called illusory superiority. 
In fact, I think we got a definition of it that we can throw up on the screen. It says this illusory superiority is a cognitive bias whereby individuals overestimate their own qualities and abilities relatively, relative to others. This is evident in a variety of areas, including intelligence, performance on task or task, test, and the possession of desirable characteristics or personality traits. It is one of many positive illusions relating to the self and is a phenomenon studied in social psychology. Illusory superiority is often referred to as the above average effect. That's pretty fascinating. That most people, when they look at themselves, literally what they're saying is, is that when I look at myself and I see the people around me, I see myself as being above average. I'm better. I deserve more. Now listen, listen. I I want you to hear how this affects culture. So I deserve more money because I'm above average. I deserve I deserve, uh, I deserve more influence. I deserve a higher seat at the table. I deserve a promotion. I deserve fill in the blank. So we have people that picket, people that protest, and they feel like they're entitled to more money. We need to raise the minimum wage. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do all this kind of stuff because I am not being valued because I need a number because I am above average and there's people that are making more money than me and I should be making what they make because I'm just as good or better than they are. I'm above average. This is all in our culture. You have to see it. It's rooted. It's rooted in pride. I need the higher seat. In fact, Jesus addresses this directly in Luke chapter 14. If you got your Bibles, you can open there. It's on page uh, 1,000, and uh, I believe it's 1,076 in your Bible, in your Worcester Bibles, 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 46, 1,046. And Jesus addresses this straight on. And I want to set up, I want to set this up for you guys as, before we jump into it. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus has just healed this guy at a party. He's been invited to this dinner party. He's hanging out at this dinner party. And people are kind of arguing back and forth over whether Jesus should have healed this guy because it's on the Sabbath. And they're trying to figure out, is this work or is it not work? And this kind of awkward conversation is going on. And some people are there listening to Jesus. And some people are trying to figure out, like, if they want to go, like, stone Jesus outside because Jesus just did something that might be against the law that they've created to try to protect themselves. And there's this kind of interesting tension that has been created in the room. And I love how Jesus does this. Now, we're in this Once Upon a Time series, and one of the cool parts about this series that we've been talking about is that Jesus was a master storyteller. In fact, there's something about stories that just etch things in our brain that help us to be able to pull things back into our memory because of a story that's attached to it. In fact, I was uh, talking to Roman, who's one of our summer interns uh, this summer earlier today, and and, uh, and he was telling me, I was his youth pastor when he was in sixth grade. And now he's an intern here. How old are you now, Roman? 22 years old. He is uh, engaged. And he was, I was his youth pastor when he was in sixth grade. All right? I am old, people. And so, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. And so, and so uh, we were talking about this earlier. And he says, he says, hey, I remember this illustration you did in our student ministry back in the day where you 
did this whole thing with a bench press, and you know, you would put like, you were like, oh yeah, you know, I've never done this weight before, and I put this amount of weight on there, and I went up there to do it, and I didn't get it. But then I turned it into an illustration of, if you fail, try again. But I really was hoping to get it in there because it messed up my illustration, right? Sometimes illustrations fail when you're a pastor and it's okay. Nobody's perfect. So, and so it was one of those moments. But here's the deal. He remembered something all the way back from when he was in middle school because there was a picture or a story or something that was attached to it. And Jesus understood this, and he would teach people through stories that, to bring out spiritual truth, using common language to connect people to spiritual truth. And these stories that he told were called parables. And this is one of the parables that Jesus taught. And he says this in Luke chapter 14. Let's jump in. He's at this dinner party, and Jesus notices that people are jockeying for position around this table uh, of the host. And he says this, verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So you got to catch this scene. There, there's a, there's a, a table in the room, and, and, and there's the dinner guests that have been invited, and they're hanging out in the room. And, and as customary, you would actually recline on the floor, and you would lean up next to the table. And the host would sit at the head of the table. And the closer position you were to the host, the more status you were said to have, you would be the guest of honor. So what would happen is, is that people would try to get to the table quickly before anybody else did, and they would try to sit as close as they could to the host at the table. So that when other people came and they sat down, they would look down the table, and they would, and they would say, man, what? I wonder who that is. I wonder what they do. It's kind of the idea of, if you think of a sporting event, like where you sit in the arena kind of has status to it. If you go to an NBA game and you got courtside seats and you're sitting on the court, it kind of has this idea of status. Or if you're on the front row of the 50-yard line at a football game, it has this idea of status. Or if you're ringside at a boxing match or a UFC fight, yeah, let's go. Uh, you know, you, are, you, are, uh, you have status. There's something about the status of that. And that is sort of the picture of this situation. That people are jockeying for position so that people would look at them as better than, as above average. And then he goes on and he says this. If so, if you do this, the host who invited both you, both of you, in, order, in other words, the guest of honor and you, will come to you and say to you, give this person your seat. In other words, the host will move you. Then humiliated... You will have to take the least important place. Because when the host comes in with a guest of honor, and you're sitting down in the place of honor, and the host comes up to you and he says, Hey man, uh, bro, you're sitting in the guest of honor seat. You're going to have to move. But by the time you get up and move for the guest of honor to sit down, all the other places are going to be filled up, and you're going to be sitting back at the very end of the table in the least position. And you're going to be humiliated because all the other people sitting around the table are going to be staring at you going, as you walk back to the end of the table. And he's drawing a picture here. In fact, this is what he's saying in this. Be humbled, be humble, or you'll be humbled. Be humble, or you'll be humbled. That literally, you'll be asked to move down. You'll be humiliated. See, this being humble thing, what's cool about it is, is that you get to choose it. You get to choose whether you're going to be humble. But if you don't choose humility, humility gets chosen for you. You either choose humility, or you're going to be you're going to be humbled by someone else, and you're either going to be humbled by God or by life. See, Ryan was prideful, 
and Dez humbled him. Dez humbled him. That Ryan had opportunities in the moment to humble himself, but in that moment, he was humbled. And the truth is, the same goes for our life. That there's moments in our life that if we don't humble ourselves, God humbles us or life humbles us. It's just a fact. In fact, let me give you a definition of humility. Let me define it for you. It's, it's not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. It's not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. In fact, this is the definition that's given in Romans chapter 12. Now, when I say that, it kind of rubs against some of the message of culture. The message of culture will say things like, well, hold on, man. Like, wait a minute. Like, you need to have self-esteem. Like, you need to think highly of yourself. But the Bible says don't esteem yourself more highly than you ought to, and that's humility. But shouldn't I have esteem? There's a difference in esteem and worth. There's a difference in pride and worth. The fact is, you have immeasurable worth. We talked about that last week, that God loved you so much that he gave you so much value, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that he's done, because of who you are is the chief of creation, that your life is so valuable that nothing is more valuable than your life to God, that the human life has a priority in the list of life. In fact, I showed you the illustration of the gorilla last week, if he was here to explain that. And this is what, what we see here going on in this passage, that you have worth, but when you get prideful about who you are, that's when trouble kind of creeps in. I love what, uh, what C.S. Lewis says. He says, it's humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's also not thinking that, well, I'm a bad person, and I've got to like, self-deprecate myself so that other people will think that I'm humble. Because when you do that, that's false humility. That's false humility. What he's saying here is, is that you put other people as a priority in your life. That you give other people the priority. In fact, he goes on and he says this in the passage in verses 10 and 11. He says, but when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. In other words, all those who are prideful will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, if you put yourself in the lower place, then it frees up the host to put you in a higher place. And the idea is, is that this is what God does in our life. Jesus says this many other ways throughout Scripture. He says, if you want to be first, you must be last. You must be a slave to all. You want to be first? That's fine. Go and serve people and make yourself last and put yourself on the bottom shelf. You want to know how marriage wins? One day, hopefully, many of you are going to be married. You want to know how marriage wins? It is you putting yourself last. It is you serving your wife. It is her serving you as her husband. It's you mutually sacrificing for one another. Marriage breaks down when one person starts to take when one person stops serving and stops sacrificing and the other person's giving and they're taking and they're giving and they're taking. And then after a while, the person who's giving while the other person is taking says, I'm fed up with this. So then this person starts taking. And now both are taking from the relationship. No one's serving. No one's sacrificing. Pride is eating up both of them and it breaks down a marriage and ends it. And I'm telling you, I can say that and you be like, well, I ain't going to let that happen in our marriage. Man, the temptation is strong. And you have to be careful. You have to watch yourself with this. And so the challenge is take the lowest place. What does that mean practically? Let me give you just a few quick practical things for you. The first is give up your seat. The first is give up your seat. And I mean that literally. 
How many of you guys have siblings? <laughs> many of us, right? Four, Four siblings. Did you say seven? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Man, I remember when I was growing up, one of the most important seats is the shotgun in the car. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody wants the front seat. Now listen, my brother and I would fight tooth and nail to get the front seat. And we had rules about when you could call shotgun, when you couldn't call shotgun. Anybody else have rules for that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you have to be outside of a house in order to call shotgun. You can't call it inside the house, right? And, uh, and, you know, and there's all these rules that we had, and we would make up rules as we go. We would cheat like crazy because we wanted to slide the other person. Hey, how about this? How about this? How about, just practically speaking, what if for your sibling you said, hey, you know what? You can have it. She said, hey, man, that's tough, isn't it? That doesn't seem all that super spiritual, but let me tell you something, man. That is a practical way that you can serve somebody around you. It's just the front seat. It's not that big of a deal, but we make it a big deal. Give up your seat. How about this? Talk about someone else. Another way to take the lowest seat every day is in your conversations. Think back in your conversations over the last several weeks. Who has been at the center of those conversations? Is it all the things that you wanted to talk about? Is it all the things that were about you? Sometimes I get in conversations with people and they ask me how I'm doing and, and you know, what's going on. And, and, then, and then I leave the conversation. I'm like, man, I just sit there and talk 15 minutes about myself. And I didn't even ask them about, who, about what was going on in their life. What if we said, you know what, how about this? How about I'm not going to say anything about myself in my conversations for the next week until I let someone else share about themselves. Then I'm going to take a lower seat. I'm going to humble myself in those conversations and do that. Something that's simple, something that's practical, maybe even thinking. Hey, when I get in the conversation with people, I'm just going to think. I'm going to ask them this question. Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What's been going on with your summer? And I'm going to ask them a list of questions, maybe two or three questions before I ever start opening my mouth. It is taking the lower seat. It is taking yourself out of the spotlight and putting someone else in the spotlight. What about small group? We put our small groups on hold for the summer. But this is a perfect example of humility when it comes to being in a small group together. What about taking the lower seat in small group? I don't know if you've ever been in a small group where someone sits in there and they talk the whole time and everybody else is sitting there like, man, when's this person ever going to shut up? You know what I'm saying? She knows what I'm saying. And maybe you're an outgoing, extroverted person, and maybe for you it's saying this. It's saying, you know what, in small group, I'm going to let everybody else in the room talk or have the opportunity to talk before I talk. And if no one else is talking or no one else is being open, you know, I'll open up and I'll be, I'll be open about that. But I'm not going to dominate the conversation. I'm going to take the lower seat. Or maybe for you, it's, it's you going, you know what, man, I, I, just don't, I just don't think that my small group is, is deep enough for me. Or I don't think my small group is uh, connecting enough for me. Then here's the challenge for you. Versus making yourself the victim and being prideful and thinking I'm better than the small group and so that small group has nothing to offer me. What if you humbled yourself and you went into the small group and served your small group and said, let me figure out how I can make the small group better. Let me figure out how I can serve the small group so it can go to a place that is deep spiritually that it can never go if I wouldn't help it get there. It's a way to humble yourself to take a lower seat. The fourth way is social media. 
We all have the friend that posts like 100 selfies a day. You know what I'm saying? Like posting about themselves all the time. A way that you can do this in social media is this. How about this? How about for the next week? How about for the next week you do this? You say, every post that I make is going to be about someone else encouraging someone else. Every post that I make on Instagram, every post that I make on Snapchat, whatever, is going to be about someone else. Encouraging them, lifting them up, putting other people as a priority versus highlighting me, I'm going to highlight somebody else. Just a cool practical way, just something you can think about. I'm not saying you do all these, but I'm saying pick one or two of these things that you can go out and practically do just to put yourself at the lower seat. Maybe you struggle with one over the other. The fifth is this, apologize. Apologize, and this is tough. But here's what apology does. Apology is the admittance that you have done something wrong. Now, this is what I've learned as I've gotten older. I am sorry is not an apology. See, sometimes we say this. Well, that person's mad at me, and I said I'm sorry, so it's on them. That's pride. See, an apology is only only an apology when you're specific. So it is this, hey, I just want you to know that I am so sorry that I dot, dot, dot. Man, I just want you to know that I am so sorry that I lost my cool in that conversation. And I said some things that I'm not proud of. Specifically, I said these three things. And I know that that hurt you, and it hurts me more than anything to know that I hurt you. And bring empathy into the conversation. And you don't fake empathy. It's because you care about the person and the relationship that you talk about. So you have empathy. He says, and I, and, I, and I hope that you can forgive me for that. That's an apology. Not like I jumped on your heart and I stomped it. And then I kicked it. And then I walked away. And then when I cooled off, I came back and I said, hey, man, um, like, I'm just, I'm sorry. That's not enough. But be specific. Apologized. Maybe, maybe for you tonight, the practical thing for you to do is to think about someone you need to go apologize to. Or maybe it's just you dropping the, the air of, the pride of, I don't need to apologize because I've already said I'm sorry. I think about it like this in my own personal life. If I know there's something broken between some, me and someone else, I do whatever I can do to make that right. That I pursue that person until it is mended. And they can choose to be defiant. They can choose to reject that. They can choose to not forgive. They can choose to hold bitterness. But I never stop pursuing that forgiveness from that person. Because I don't want people to have a broken relationship with me. And it is on them if I pursue that and I apologize. And and, and that is true. But I don't want to give them a reason. I want to lower myself. I want to humble myself so that I can apologize to them. And the last one is this, practical, prayer. How about being humble when we go before the Lord to approach God in humility? Sometimes we approach God and we treat him like his primary role is to make our life happy and perfect and what we want it to be. And then we get mad at God and disappointed when the life circumstances that we have don't go the way we want them to go and we make it all about it being God's fault. But to humble ourselves and go before the Lord and say, hey, God, you know what? Like, I ask you for stuff all the time. You know, what are you asking of me? 
I just want to sit here in silence before you, Lord. I want to be still before you, and I want you to speak to my heart. I want you to change me. I want you to show me something. I love this passage of Scripture because it highlights the fact that we should be humble. In James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, it's Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And it's not about us trying to figure out how to jockey ourselves to another position. It is about us humbling ourselves so that God can raise us and put us in, the, in that position. And what the interesting thing about humility is this, is that when you got it, you don't know it. And if you think you got it, you ain't got it. So I want to challenge you to humble yourself. Figure out what that looks like for you. Maybe you're argumentative. Maybe it's one of these six areas. But I want to challenge you to go after these areas and humble yourself. To take the lower seat. And so I'm going to pray for you guys tonight as the band comes up. And as I pray for you guys tonight, I I want you to think about an area during this last song where you, where you feel like I need to humble myself in. In fact, maybe for you, you're like, you know what, to be honest with you, I've had a situation or circumstance happen in my life here recently where I've been humbled because of my pride. Confess that to the Lord. Have a conversation with God. And when you walk out of here tonight, have one or two of those things that I just mentioned to you. Have one or two of those things in your mind and say, I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to go after that this week. I'm going to apply that to my life.